Well, good morning. Still windy out there? It was windy when I came. It's still windy, blowing like crazy. Good to see it blew you the right direction. You're all here. Uh, hey, it's, uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and uh, we're, I'm just really glad you're here, especially if you're brand new. I want to welcome you. And inside your weekend program is a white message note sheet. It's actually called The Way. that will help you follow along as we go through our time of teaching. And I uh, just want to give you a quick update on my voice. Some of you continue to ask about that and pray about that. You're so faithful, and I I just really feel in the love. Um, I'm not feeling the healing, but I'm feeling the love. And um, so uh, uh, this is my one-year anniversary this month of my voice problem. And uh, so uh, we're still, you know, chasing down leads and seeing whatever. But uh, last weekend in particular kind of strained it. Uh, we had, we were kind of doing some interviews all weekend long. And, and then there was, what, a Saturday. We had the service, three services. Saturday night, a welcome dessert at a house. Sunday night, a pastor's class. And Monday morning, my voice said, you know, you, that was really stupid. <laughs> and so, um, it's, you know, if I cough a little bit today or something, just want to get let you know, don't be worried about it. It'll, it'll probably bounce back to its subnormal state. So, um, Anyway, thank you for your ongoing prayers uh, for that as we continue to uh, uh, see what God does with that. So, hey, you ready to go? Ready to go in this series? Now, you guys are so awake today. It's amazing. It's like I can tell it, right? Doing worship, you're ready to go, and you're singing out, and this is great. So uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. God, we're so thankful for what you're doing here uh, at this church, our church, your church. Uh, we are excited to be a part of this movement that you are doing. God, you're, you're on the move here. You're waking us up. You're calling us deeper. You're drawing us to yourself. You're doing new things, and we are excited to be a part of that. And Lord, we know that this series is a part of that next step in our journey as a church to being the church that you vision in your mind. And so, Lord, we want to get everything we can out of it. And as we come today and we sit at the feet of this amazing apostle and let him mentor us on what it means to be a follower of uh, the movement that was once called the way, what it means to be a, a follower of Christ. We pray that you give us eyes that see it, ears that hear, things that perhaps we haven't seen before. And really, by the time we left, that we will feel we've encountered you and you've taught us the next step in our journey. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the story today starts off, uh, he was born um, in a, a province, ancient province of Cilicia. It was uh, modern day Turkey. It was a big city. Uh, famous city. In fact, at the time, uh, about 500,000 people lived there, very cosmopolitan. It was uh, famous for its universities, like it was the Harvard and the Yale of the day. It was definitely Ivy League of the day. Uh, first was probably Athens in Greece, second maybe Alexandria in, in Egypt, and then maybe third place would be Tarsus, our city in the, uh, the area of modern Turkey. And so cosmopolitan place. It's a place where the east met the west because there was a famous Roman road, ancient road that went through the town and through the city, and, and so cultures clashed there. It was a place where people from all different backgrounds, uh, uh, cultures, religions, thought patterns, uh, customs uh, would come together in this one place. And in the midst of this uh, very pagan uh, city, there was uh, this one little family, and we don't know a lot about them. Uh, we know that uh, they were Roman citizens. We don't know how that happened. It was a high honor in that day. It was hard to come by, but somehow they were Roman citizens. Uh, our, our best guess is that the father in this family was a tent maker because his son would one day grow up to be a tent maker. Uh, we're not sure how long they'd lived there or how they came to live in this, this city. But the one thing we know about them is that they were a Jewish family. They, they loved the God of Israel. They were totally sold out, and, and so they took it very seriously. And we know that when that, this young little boy, when he was, uh, he was still young, that the family shipped him off to Jerusalem. Now, we don't really actually know whether he went by himself and lived with relatives or a boarding school, 
but, uh, or with the family with him. But, but one way or another, they sent him to Jerusalem so he could receive training by one of the most famous rabbis of all time. And his name was Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel was a, a Pharisee, which is a very strict and conservative sect within Judaism. Took the law of God very seriously. In fact, as if the Bible wasn't serious enough, added hundreds of its own laws to make sure they just weren't doing anything wrong. And, uh, and so he grew up as a Pharisee. And he was, uh, took it seriously, very legalistic approach to his relationship with God. But we know that when he was grown and he was a young man, probably about 30 years old, that he became um, a leader, a kind of a violent persecutor of this new movement that had just started a couple years before in Jerusalem. It was a movement called The Way. It was based on the life and the teaching of this kind of backwater peasant teacher named Yeshua, which is a very famous, uh, kind, of a, kind of a, not famous, but a common name in the day. Lots of Yeshua's running around. And, uh, and he came uh, across the Roman government, took them off, and they decided to, to put him to death for the, on the charges of treason, hung him on a cross, no big deal. Thousands of people died that, way, that, uh, that day. But uh, strangely enough, the movement claimed that he had come back to life and he was actually the Messiah of Israel. Now, to our guy, uh, Saul, who later becomes Paul, this seems ridiculous. I mean, messiahs don't, don't die. Messiahs take over things. And uh, they certainly don't die on crosses, on trees. And so, uh, so he thinks the whole thing's ridiculous. And, and he's watching uh, with concern as this movement, no matter what the religious authorities do to stop it in Jerusalem, it continues to grow. And he just can't believe anyone's buying into this heresy. But um, over time, uh, it continues to grow. And so at a certain point, he feels like it's his responsibility to jump in and to help. And so first time he shows up was the day that they killed the first martyr of this ancient movement called The Way. And uh, this guy was in trial. They, they uh, strung him up, took him out, ran him out of town, stoned him outside the town. And uh, while they stoned him, of course, the people taking their coats off, they needed someone to guard the coats, and that was the least he could do. He guarded the coats. He thought, man, the guy's getting exactly what he deserves. And so he was all for it. And that seemed to be sort of a tipping point in his life. That day, uh, a light went on. Man, he was now jumping in, doing everything he could to help stop this movement. And so he began arresting Christ followers. He began to uh, beat them. In fact, he would, he would beat them and, until they would curse the name of Yeshua of Backwater Town of Nazareth. That would he do. And then he, he would, after he you know, beat them and tried to get them to curse this false Messiah, he would throw them into prison. And when their, their case came up, he'd vote against them. And so, uh, but, but in spite of all this heavy-duty persecution going on in Jerusalem, uh, the movement continues to grow. And so now the movement is spreading out into other ancient major cosmopolitan cities. Danger is huge now that this heresy is going to spread throughout the Roman world and undercut the Jewish faith. And so... Uh, he, with authority of the high priests, the top priests in Jerusalem, he is sent on a mission. He's sent on a mission to go to the ancient city of Damascus, one of the uh, oldest cities in the world, and goes back to 9,000 B.C. or something crazy like that. And uh, it's a big walled city in its day, cosmopolitan, uh, east, meet west, west, uh, east meets west type city. Uh, if it gets planted there, this way is going to go out to the rest of the world. And so they send him there to stop it, arrest followers, bring them back. And so he's headed, it's about 135 miles north of Jerusalem, so it's about the distance between here and San Diego. So think if you're starting that walk today. Uh, it's a long walk. You're obviously serious about what you're doing. And so it's, it happens, he's on the road that day, and he's, 
He's on the road to the ancient city of Damascus. You can see it in the distance, big walled city, huge city. He's on his way, and, and then out of the blue it happens. Uh, no warning, no shots uh, fired over the bow. It's just out of the blue that it happens. Uh, it, it hits him like this, this big bright light. In fact, he'll later describe it that way. He'll say it's like this huge light, bright light, more brilliant than the sun at noonday. Uh, in fact, it was noon right there, so he had those to compare, them, so we'll compare it with. Big bright light happens. It's about noon. They're heading into town. They're hungry. They've been a long journey. They want to get some food, take some rest, get out of the heat. And uh, that's when it happens. And boom, light comes on. It is hugely bright. It's brilliant. Knocks him to the ground. Knocks all his buddies to the ground. It's overpowering. Well, he's a good Jew. I mean, he, he knows his Old Testament. He knows the stories. He knows right away what's going on. It's, it's God. It's the glory of God. This is what happens when God shines. The lights go on. You know, it's overpowering. You fall over. This is what happens when God shows up. So he knows it's a God moment, but there's something weird about this because you can see a guy in this God moment. You don't only think of like a human being in like a God moment. And he's sort of confused. And he's lying on the ground trying to figure out what's going on. And so he just says the first thing that comes to his mind, like, who are you, Lord? Well, there's only one Lord in Israel. There's only one God in Israel. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Who are you, God? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? What's your name? Could you fill me in? Glad to meet you, but I'm laying, you know, kind of laid out here on the ground. Oh, and the words that come back, it was like a nightmare. It was like his worst nightmare come true. I mean, the words he'll never forget, they're like, they're burned on his brain for the rest of his life. It sent shivers down his spine. If he could dive any deeper under the earth, he would die because it was, this was like the worst. Because what the Lord, the God of Israel says, my name is Yeshua from the little backwater town of Nazareth. Why are you persecuting me? Wow. Can you get there? Can you just be there for just a minute? Can you just be there with him just a minute? I mean, it was the worst moment of his life. I mean, everything he'd ever believed was wrong. Everything he'd ever taught was wrong. Everything he was committed to. In a moment, his life came crashing it down him, and he was filled with had to be just fear. And the last thing he remembers before the lights went out and he went blind was the face of Jesus of Nazareth. Today we're continuing this series, new series we started last week called The Way. It's a story of, uh, it's a study about the, the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest spiritual leaders, teachers of all time, but most of all, incredible Christ follower. And what we're doing in this series is we're coming under his leadership and we're allowing him to mentor us. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be part of his movement that the early church was first called the way? And so our plan is every week we'll start off by taking a look at the, one of his most famous and longest letters, his letter to the church at Rome, called the book of Romans. And then we'll use that as a gateway, a launching pad, to kind of cross over into other writings. Like, so when he brings up an important topic in Romans, we'll say, what else does he have to teach? So kind of a, it's a way to get at the life and teaching of the Apostle Paul. So today we're actually going to be starting off with Romans chapter 1, the first 17 verses. But before we do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Paul's introductions. 
If you've been a Christ follower for a while, you've read the New Testament, you know that whenever Paul writes a letter, he starts with introduction, right? Every letter. Remember, half of the books of the New Testament, 13 out of 27, are written by the Apostle Paul. And so typically when you read these, you might do what I've often, you just tend to skip on. You know, it's like skip the intro. Yeah, it's like religious stuff. Grace, peace, faith, whatever, you know? Like, let's get on to the letter, see what, you know, grace, be and they're all sound the same, kind of religious stuff. And, and, and the, the reality is, is it would be really helpful to us, I think, to understand uh, Paul's intros. And I like to think of them like an iceberg, okay? So there in your note sheet, there's a section that coincidentally has to do with icebergs. And so it says Paul's intros, the tip of the iceberg. So let's talk about his intros and what he does. Here's what Paul does. In his intros, Paul will often throw out a few phrases uh, it might make a statement or two, but he often has these key words that he, he uses. And, uh, and these key words, if you study Paul, they're really like code words. That, that they're like the tip of an iceberg. In other words, that you, you know how icebergs work? Like, like icebergs, um, like 10% of an iceberg is above the waterline. 90% is below the waterline. So when you see an iceberg... You're not really seeing the iceberg. You're like, man, it might look amazing. It might look huge. But the reality is that there's really a lot more that meets the eye in an iceberg. Well, here's what I'm saying. In the Apostle Paul's introduction, he throws out these code words. They're like the tip of the iceberg. He's going to throw out these words that to you or I might just seem like religious kind of mumbo-jumbo words, you know, uh, kind of throwaway words. But in reality... They, each of these words represents a huge concept. And, and if you can understand that word, you understand the mind of the Apostle Paul. And so he throws them out quickly, but then later in the, in the, in the book, he'll kind of unpack those, and you get to see this huge story. Like, like, let me give you an example. Let me show you a picture of an iceberg. Okay, there's an iceberg. You see that? You see the, through the water line, you see a little bit above the waterline, you see this huge, massive thing, which is where we get the, the phrase, hey, it's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's just, this problem is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, you, you, think, uh, you think my problem at work is bad? You, you haven't heard nothing yet. Let me tell you the whole thing, right? It's the tip of the iceberg. And so in the same way, these words are like the tip of Paul's iceberg. If you think of his iceberg like a mine, they're the tip of his iceberg. That he throws out a word like grace or throws out a word like peace. It's huge. It's kind of like, uh, like this. Like if you're uh, married... Uh, or if you're single, or you're dating someone, or, or you wish you were dating someone, or whatever, um, or you have a good friend or something, and you've gone through life together, and you know how it is, you've shared certain powerful experiences, and, but you, you can just re- you can recall that whole experience with a single word, like maybe you, you went down to Mexico, and it was just like, it was a bad week, it was a horrible, not one of our mission trips, but you know, one of the, it was just like a bad, horrible weekend, you know, and it was just a nightmare. And so, you know, you're talking years later to this buddy, and you're going like, well, how was your trip? He goes, remember Mexico? It's like, whoa, it's that bad? You know, like, you know exactly what he's talking, you know what I mean? I mean you have those couples, maybe you fall in love, and you have a favorite song, and from that point on, you know, it's 30 years later, uh, like this year, Lynn and I, we were celebrating our 32 anniversary this month. And so, like, you know, 32 years later, and you're still singing, remember that song, I love you, yeah, 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 whatever, you know. And, um, <laughs> no, that was actually before my time, but anyway. Uh, but I, but I've, I've, I've listened to CDs, so they're good. So uh, anyway, and all you have to do is just like humming a few bars of that, and the other person like, oh man, it takes me back, you know? Okay, Paul's words, these code words are like that. To a, to a bystander, it just sounds like a word. 
But if you understand the mind of Paul, it's like the, each one, it, it's like, man, it packs a punch. There's huge words. So what we're going to do, rather than trying to go through the, uh, the first 17 verses, especially the first seven, and kind of like read two words and give you a little talk about one big code word, and then two words and one big code word, it'd be hard to do. I'm going to give you seven key code words right off the bat. We're going to crack the code, all right? So then you, know, you have a section called Cracking the Code. Uh, uh, seven key words. We're going to run through seven key words that are really critical to understanding Romans, but also understanding anything Paul writes, all right? So number one, uh, first word is the word gospel. Now, uh, when, you, when I say the word gospel, what do you think of? What, what's the words coming to your mind? Good news. Yeah, that's what it literally means, good news. Uh, what else? <coughs> Nothing, your minds go blank. <laughs> gospel, oh, blank. <laughs> Huh? The story of Jesus. Good. What else? Four Gospels. Anything else? The four Gospels again. Second time. Uh, Truth. Yeah, truth. Okay. So a lot of things. I think lots of times in Christian circles, when we talk about the Gospel, we're talking about sort of the salvation story, right? Jesus came to earth, died for our sins, we're forgiven for uh, our sins, we go to heaven, right? Have you shared the Gospel with them? You know, that kind of thing. But when Paul uses the word gospel, it means a lot more to him. To him, it means the whole message of Jesus. It's kind of like the fullness of the teaching about Jesus, what it means to be a follower, what it means who Jesus is, uh, the whole plan of salvation, uh, what it means to walk with Jesus, the whole thing. It's his gospel, okay? It's the message of Jesus. That's number one. Number two. Uh, Second word is grace. Another big word. Now, that's kind of a religious word, I know. Um, but, but you know what Paul means by grace is that if you and I are going to have a relationship with God, since we're so messed up, it's got to be a gift. Like, like you're never going to earn a relationship with God. Uh, a relationship with God is something you can't deserve by your performance, you know? Uh, if you want to change your life and become like Jesus, you can't do that by your willpower, that, that our relationship with God from beginning to end is a gift of grace we don't deserve. And so grace is a huge word in Paul. We'll see that throughout Romans. Third word. Third word is the word peace. And so as we'll see, uh, what Paul means by peace is that we are a fallen race. We are at war with God. We are enemies of God. And so Jesus came to end that war, to invite us to switch sides, to stop our rebellion, to lay down the arms, to come home, to, be, to receive amnesty, that we are at peace. There's a peace treaty. That's what he's talking about. Okay, we're, we used to be at war with God. Now we enter into a relationship of peace. Okay, number four. Fourth word is faith. Now again, kind of a religious word, but we make it way too complicated. Faith, you might want to write by it, trust. Basically, since we can't earn a relationship with God, he's going to give it to us, but still we have to trust him for that gift, right? We have to receive that gift. And so our whole life with Jesus from beginning to end is a trust relationship, which if you stop and think about it, is a core to any relationship. It's impossible to have any relationship in life without trust. Until we come to a place where we trust God and we trust what he says and we trust his promises, you can't have a relationship with him just like you can't have a close relationship with anyone without trust, right? Okay, number, uh, number five. Fifth word is obedience. 
come, Lord Jesus. It's like, man, it's like a mighty wind. Did I tell you something? You guys are awake, we're ready to go. The Holy Spirit's coming. We're, we might not be out of here for a while, I'm telling you. We're, all right, so uh, the word is obedience. Now, there was a lot of critics in Paul's day, and often when they criticism, hey, Paul, you're teaching this whole thing here that our relationship with God is not something we deserve. It's not performance. It's a gift. Well, why don't we just keep living like whatever we want then? Why don't we just keep living lives of disobedience? And Paul's going to say, oh, no, no, no. Because uh, disobedience is both destructive and it's addictive. And if you want to get the most out of life, the, the path is obedience. In fact, it's the one true sign whether you believe God or not. If I want to figure out, are you a follower of Jesus or not, the best way is not for me to talk to you, just to watch your life, what you do. Because true faith always shows itself in obedience. Because if you trust God, you're going to do what he says. If you don't, you won't. Okay, so obedience, key concept. Seventh word, or sixth word, is the word called. Okay, word called. So um, what Paul's going to teach us is that because we are so messed up that for us to come into relationship with God, he's got to put in a wake-up call for us first. Like, like, we're not out there, it might seem like this, but the fact is, if you're seeking God today, it's because he has woken you up and called you to seek him, you see? We don't seek him on our own, he puts in a wake-up call. And it's like, whoa, what happened? I need to find God in my life. And so God begins to call us, invite us into relationship, and, and, and then Paul can also use it in a little slightly different way. That's not, only, that not only does God call us into relationship, he sometimes calls us to specific tasks. Like, like, for example, in his life, he was called to be an apostle, but to the Gentiles, non-Jews. It was a specific calling. Okay, but sixth calling. Number seventh is the word apostle. Now, the word apostle can mean different things in the New Testament. Literally, it means a messenger. But sometimes uh, the New Testament will use it in kind of a broader way to describe uh, kind of uh, high-level church leaders. Not the original 12 apostles, that's they're separate. But just for example, Paul will use it this way in Romans 16. He'll talk about two of his relatives who were apostles. They're not one of the 12, but they're, they're apostles. So sometimes it can be like uh, a general church leader, okay? maybe church planters, something like that. But um, when Paul uses the word to describe himself is where it becomes a code word. When he describes himself, what he's talking about is a specific calling on his life to be a personal representative and spokesman for Jesus Christ. He's referring to the encounter that took place on the road to Damascus we talked about earlier where God commissioned, Jesus commissioned him to be his authoritative spokesperson. Now, we will talk about this quite a bit more later on, so we'll come back. It's very important. If we're going to understand Paul, his writings, and the implications for our life, extremely important. Now, okay, so with that, uh, with that background, um, let's go ahead and jump into the first 17 verses. You'll notice in most of your Bibles, they're split up into two sections. The first section, the seven verses, is like his formal intro, formal intro to the letter. The next 10 verses are, are kind of where he talks about why he's coming to Rome, what he hopes to accomplish, why it's taken him so long to get there, etc., etc. Okay, so let's pick it up. We have Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. And now that we've, uh, we've kind of laid the groundwork, um, we'll be able to move through it pretty rapidly. Okay, so Paul. 
It's from Paul. He's the author, a servant of Jesus Christ. And right away, we're going to get three of these buzzwords, three of these code words right away. You may want to circle them in your Bible. I've got them circled in mine. But um, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, here's number one, called, there you go, code word number one, to be an apostle, code word number two, set apart for the gospel of God, code word number three. I'm Paul. God chose me to be an apostle set apart for this message of Jesus. Verse two. Now, he's going to talk more about this gospel or the message of Jesus. The gospel, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So this message of Jesus is new historically because Jesus you know, recently lived and died at his day and came back to life. Um, but, but from God's standpoint, it's, something that God's, it's not new in God's plan. It was always planned. And so that's what he's saying. It was prophesied in, in the Old Testament prophets. Now, number three tells us the topic of the gospel. The topic is regarding his son. In a sense, whenever Paul teaches, all he's doing is taking the life, the death, the resurrection, and the teaching of Jesus, kind of like as an acorn uh, form, and he's like letting it become an oak tree. Let me tell you the implications of who Jesus is in your life. So Paul is always just explaining who Jesus is to us. That's his job. So it's regard, the gospel is regarding his son. Now, it says it's uh, who to his human nature was a descendant of David. So, of course, the Messiah was predicting the Old Testament. He had to be a descendant of David. Jesus was. But who through the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So from a human standpoint, Jesus was a descendant of David, but he was so much more than that. He was also the son of God, and God put his signature on the son, saying this is, he's the real deal via the resurrection. The resurrection is God's signature on the son that he is truly who he claimed to be. And we're going to come back and talk about that in two weeks when we get to Easter. Okay, now let's move on. So through him, through Christ, and through his, for his name's sake, we received, here's two more code words, that we received grace, we received apostleship, to call people, there's another word, call, right, third code word, to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience, code word, that comes from faith, code word, okay? So what he's saying is, he says, uh, he says myself, my partners, my crew here, uh, God called us, he called me to be an apostle. Uh, and my job, my specific job assignment is to take the message to non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And here's what, my, here's what I do. I call people, I extend an invitation to become uh, followers of Jesus, to come to a point of faith, and true faith always leads to obedience, right? I'm, I call them to, to faith, the faith that leads to obedience. Okay, now, and so, in, um, and he says, so verse 6, and you also, you at Rome, are also among those who are called, there we got again, he's called, to belong to Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means a change of ownership. It means a transfer of title. Okay? This is why it's so ridiculous. And then, well, I believe in Jesus, but I just haven't really surrendered my life to him. Wait a second. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that you, the, obedient, the, the, it's a, the obedience that comes out of faith, 
true faith leads to obedience. And it means you belong to Jesus now. You used to belong to yourself. You used to belong to the dark side. You used to belong to Satan. You used to belong to a master called sin. Now there's been a transfer of title. And you now have been bought with a price and you belong to Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. So he says, that's my job. I call people to come and belong to Jesus. And he says, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, who are loved by God, what's it mean to be a Christ follower? Well, it means you belong to Jesus. It also means you're loved by God. You've entered into a new love relationship. And you're called, there's our words again, you're called to be saints. Now, honestly, that word saints, you might want to circle it. That, that could be like an eighth code word. I just didn't want to have eight, but I'm kind of cheating now and sliding it in. So seven's the perfect number. But, um, but it could be like an eighth code word because in the New Testament, a saint is just a name for a Christ follower. Uh, in our culture, it's often come to be one of these high-tier people that are special out of the ordinary. Like, well, I'm no saint, right? Or Saint Jerome or Saint Anthony or whoever. Um, But in the Bible, a saint is simply a Christ follower. And what it literally means is a holy one, which is also kind of a tough word for us, right? Holy, that we're we're like God, that we're we're different. We're we're learning what's right and true and good and pure, right? So we're, we're called to be holy. That's part of what it means of being a Christ follower. He says, so we're writing to you. Now, so that's the first seven verses. This is from, I'm Paul. And uh, here's my, my I'm, it's about, I'm going to write about my message, and I'm writing to you, because you you have this relationship with God. Now, verse 8. Uh, now, in for 8 through 17, he's just going to rapidly tell him a little bit about why he's coming, what he hopes to achieve, why he's taken so long. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith, there's that code word, your faith is being reported in all the world. Now, there's, there's a church in Rome. And the news is getting out that even in the capital, uh, this movement, the movement called the way, it's starting in Rome. And CNN's picking up on it. New York Times are there. It's being reported in all the world. Okay, verse 9. So God whom I serve with my whole heart in the preaching of the gospel, there's that word, gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. So so I've never been there. I've never met all of you. But man, I'm constantly praying. I have a heart for you. And I'm praying that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I'm praying God will open up a door for me to get there. And I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Uh, Paul's a gifted teacher and leader. He knows that wherever he goes, God uses him to strengthen people. And so he wants that to happen for them. But on the other side, he realizes it's a two-way street. So verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've, I've planned many times to come to you. But I've been prevented from doing so until now. So I've, he says, hey, he might have been criticized. Hey, it's taken you so long to get here. Why didn't you come sooner? But I, I want you to, I, uh, I wanted to come for a long time. Planned it, just hasn't worked out. In order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. Now, verse 14. Now, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and foolish. And that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So he says, uh, God's calling on my life is to take the message of Jesus to all kinds of people. I want to get there and share it with you, too. Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Now, this is really kind of an odd thing to say. Oh, of course you're not ashamed of the gospel. You're an apostle. <laughs> like, if you're ashamed, you should go in another line of work, you know? Find a new job. You know, find something you can, you can sell with a good conscience, you know? If you're, if, you, if you're ashamed of the gospel, you've got a problem. But what he's saying here is that in the ancient world, as in our current world, there's always people who think the message of Jesus is ridiculous, you know, that, that are against it, that are, are anti it of one degree or another. And Paul says, hey, I know that. I know there's a lot of criticism. He says, but, the, he says, but I, so I'm not ashamed of it. Let me tell you why I'm not ashamed of it. This is great. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for salvation. He says, the, the fact of the matter is, is that this message has the power to change your life. And that's why I'm not ashamed of it. What I found in our life is that we tend to be ashamed of the gospel to the extent that we've not experienced its power. The more we experience the power of life changing us, the more we're like good to be known that we're a follower of Jesus. If you haven't experienced much power, then you're probably not so real happy to be known as a follower. But the more power you have, it's like whatever. You think it's crazy, but like if you knew what I knew, it's like you'd be all over this thing, you know? So in verse, uh, verse 17, or keep on verse 16, it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So I mentioned last week, this is an underlying theme running throughout the book of Romans. This new thing that God's doing in Jesus, how does it fit with the old thing he did in the Old Testament, the chosen people? And, and if I'm a Jew, do I relate to, to God through the same way? Don't I get like a special deal or something? You know, like we're the chosen people. And so, are you kidding me? Like, I really get to God the same way now? I mean, there's no, like, there's no advantage of being a Jew. I mean, and so Paul throughout this letter is going to come back, hey, we're all fallen. Yes, there's advantages to being a Jew, but it doesn't get you in. And so uh, this message is only one way in, and it's through Jesus. And it's first, the me- uh, sent, that message sent first to the Jewish race and now to all races. Okay? And so uh, verse 17 says, and the reason that it's so powerful is in the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed. Okay, what's the, what's the most important question in life? Well, I'll tell you. Most important question in life, how can you have a relationship with God? Because if God is ticked at you, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. If you are on the outs with God, it's going to be a long eternity. Right? And so the most important question in life is how do I have a relationship with God? What's it take to be right with God? And Paul says, that's why the gospel is so powerful. It answers that question for you. And he says, let me give you a hint. It's a righteousness that's by faith from first to last. It has nothing to do with you. Isn't that cool? If you don't have a relationship with God, it has nothing to do with you how good you are, how bad you are, how religious you are, what upbringing you come, no, no, we don't have a relationship with God because of what we bring to the table, because we all come broke, right? And so, so it's all about faith. It's all about receiving this gift of a new life that has nothing to do with you earning it. And so he's gonna be talking about that. And then he quotes from the Old Testament to back up his argument from Habakkuk chapter two, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, so that's the first 17 verses. Now, uh, so in it, he just kind of lays out, I'm Paul, writing to you. It's about my gospel. It's about Jesus. Uh, and I'm looking forward to coming. I wanted to come a long time, been prevented. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be amazing. We're going to grow together. And I can share my message, this whole message of Jesus has the power to change your life. And, and it's not about you. It's my faith from beginning to end. 
from the, start of you, from the start of your journey with Jesus to the end of your journey with Jesus, it's always by faith. It's never by you making it happen. You know, it's always by receiving as a gift. So that's the passage. Now, okay, in the time we have today, though, I want to get really practical. And you probably noticed that when I do teaching, I always have a big so what over the whole thing. And so I just really can't leave it here. Okay, we, we understand it now. I can't leave it here. So, so what? What we say today, what difference does it make in our life? And I want to go back to one of the key words we started our study with today. It's the word apostle. And I want to ask a question. In fact, it's there in your note sheet. And it goes like this. So, so it says, Paul's an apostle, so what's the big deal? Okay? Um, and and to, to, under, to answer that question, we're going to go back to the story we started the day with. So he left Paul. He's in the dirt. He's groveling, terrified, and the lights have just gone out. He's blind. Now, we talk about this more Easter weekend, but uh, I, I don't think any of us probably have ever thought a lot about this, how terrifying he was, that, that moment was. Um, Paul goes blind, uh, and he's been fighting the wrong person. Have you ever made like a really bad decision in your life and you find you're on the wrong side of an issue? <laughs> uh, this is like the ultimate wrong side of the issue. And he's now blind. And a lot of us who've read the story of Paul, we know the story that in three days he's going to be healed. But step with me back in time. Paul doesn't know how the story ends. All he knows is that he is on the wrong side of the Messiah and the Messiah just blinded him. Things are not looking good. Next three days are going to be the most terrifying days of his life. We're going to explore that in a couple weeks. But for right now, we, we leave him there. And, and so we, we read the story of Paul. We read the story of Jesus appearing to Paul. And, and what we tend to do if we've been a Christian a long time. Now, if you're brand new at this, this is your day, man. Because like, I wish I could go back and hear this story the first day. But if you've been a Christian a long time, what we often tend to do, we hear the story of Paul, we see it as a conversion story. We read it as a conversion story. Like if you grew up in Sunday school, you got the flannel graph images in your mind. Apostle Paul in his bathrobe laid out, you know, <laughs> big light. And we read it as a conversion story. This is how Paul came to Jesus. Well, it's much more than a conversion story. That's not why the story is here. It's not a conversion story. It's a commissioning story. The reason the story is here is because Jesus showed up to commission Paul to be his authoritative spokesman, like one of the original 12 disciples, one of the men who saw Jesus face-to-face -face after the resurrection and was commissioned to speak as an authoritative representative of the Son of God from that point on. Now, this is critical. We get this. And I want you to uh, take your Bibles. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 26. I want you to see this. In the book of Acts, Paul often tells his story. Um, in this particular scene, he's, he's in prison. If you were here last week, you remember the story, after his third missionary journey, he stops in Jerusalem. There's a mob scene there. The Roman soldiers step in to protect him from the Jewish mob trying to, to kill him. And they, they put him in, take him into custody. They, they put him in Caesarea at the jail there down by the seaside. And he's in jail there for two years. 
awaiting trial. And that's due to political uh, backroom uh, meetings. And, uh, and while he's there, um, he gets a chance to share Christ with several high-level authorities. And one of them is a man named King Agrippa. And he's sharing his story in this passage of how he used to be a persecutor and go arrest Christians, and now he's Christ. How did it happen? And so he says in chapter six, uh, 26 in verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to dis- notice it's one of these journeys, that he had many of these persecution journeys. On one of these journeys, verse 12, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. And about noon, O king, I was on the road, and I saw a light from heaven. It was brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying in Aramaic. Now, it's interesting. Aramaic is a variant form of Hebrew. It's the form of Hebrew spoken in Israel. So Jesus chooses to address uh, Paul in the language of his childhood and the language of Jesus spoke. Uh, the Jewish language. And so he says in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Skip to verse 15. So he says, well, who are you, Lord? He says, well, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, now get up, stand on your feet, and I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, and catch this, and a witness. A witness of what? He said, I've appeared to you. Why had did Jesus appear to him? Well, to become Jesus' personal servant, and to be a witness. A witness of what? Of two things. Point you a witness of what you have seen of me, i.e., that I'm alive, that the stories are true, the resurrection was real. You've seen me with your own eyes. And what I will show you. Because the reason I appeared to you is to commission you to be a personal servant of mine, a spokesperson, to tell people that's true that I'm alive and tell you what I will show you in the future. I'll, I'll teach you what to teach my people, you see. Now, this is an incredibly important story. And you see it reflected in Paul's introductions. It's why he starts off Romans 1.1, Paul, an apostle, a servant of Jesus Christ, and an apostle called and separated for the gospel of God. You see, he's referring to this commissioning event. This is who I am. This is, I'm an apostle. Now, it's incredibly important because in the New Testament, Paul's critics will often come after him. He'll start a church, get the church going, it's going great. His critics, false teachers, will follow along behind him. And when they get there, they'll say, you know, Paul's a nice guy. He's got the best of intentions. But, you know, he didn't really travel with Jesus. He didn't really know Jesus. He's never seen Jesus. And he's just off on a few things. So we'll straighten out where he's off. And so Paul was forced to defend himself and his calling as an apostle over and over in the New Testament, not because of his ego, but because of what was at stake, the life of these believers, spiritual truth. In fact, in your life group homework, you'll study some of that this week as he defends his, 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 uh, his authority. And his point is, hey, I'm not just Paul a guy, I'm Paul an apostle. Now, uh, you say, so Mike, why is this so important? Like, why are you hammering on this? I'll tell you why. Because as Christ followers today, you and I, we have to decide who is the Apostle Paul to us. Who is the Apostle Paul in your life? Um, Is he just a good guy like the false teachers would teach, but a little off on some things? Or is he the personal, hand-picked servant of Jesus Christ commissioned to speak with the authority of Jesus himself. Which is he 
in your life, which you see in my life. So in the early church, this goes to the very heart of a very critical issue in our life. It's the issue of authority. Like if I ask you today, why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you think certain things are right and certain things are wrong? What would you tell me? See, in the early church, they had to decide what writings of the first century would they include in their New Testament, their Bible? What, what writings would be considered divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit for authoritative for our life? And you know what their number one criteria was? Was this letter written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle? Like the Gospel of Mark, written by Mark, not an apostle, but it, the information comes from the apostle Peter, you see? And if it was written by an apostle, then it's in. Why? Because Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16, the night before he left, Jesus said, I'm about to leave. I will send to you men, another, my followers, my 12. I will send to you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will remind you of everything I taught so you can communicate it accurately. And he will reveal all truth to you so you can teach it. In fact, there's certain things I would love to teach you, but you're not currently ready. But my, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will take the things that you're not ready for and he'll explain them to you so you can teach my church, you see? And what Paul is saying is that I'm one of those guys that Jesus has personally appeared to me and commissioned me to speak on his behalf. Now, again, why is this so important? Well, I'll tell you why. In the coming weeks and months, where if we study the life of the Apostle Paul, we have to decide, are we an apostolic church or not? Are we, the church at Rocky Peak, are we under the authority of the apostles that Jesus has given us, under the authority of the apostolic witness of the New Testament? Do we live our life under the authority of the apostles, or do we follow them when they make sense, but we skip off and flip the page when we don't? And we're going to have to decide that with the Apostle Paul. So, for example, in the coming months, the Apostle Paul, weeks and months, he's going to say some things you just love. He's going to talk to you about the love of God, and you're like, you go, Paul. That is awesome. You're going to find freeing. He's going to talk to you about uh, the Holy Spirit and how God's Spirit comes into our life when we give our life to Jesus and changes us from the inside out. Powerful. So you're going to love that teaching. He's going to talk to us about how to do relationships in a whole new way, and the ethic of Christianity is the ethic of love. It's the bottom line, and you're going to love that stuff. He's going to talk to you about your personal life and how when you gave your life to Jesus, there is a purpose for your life, a specific purpose. He's gifted and equipped and called you for it, and he's given you the power to make a difference for not just now but for eternity, and you're going to love it. Oh, then there's going to be some other days. And the Apostle Paul is going to say some things. You're going to go, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't know if I agree with that. That's not the way I've been taught. That's not what I believe. I'm not sure that's really right. Let me flip back to 1 Corinthians 13, read about love again. I like that chapter. And we can do this. What we'll do is we'll pick and choose. We'll read the parts we like. And here's the thing that happens to us. that When you reject spiritual truth in your life, there is a price we pay. And the, the, the price we pay is that area of our life never gets straightened out. You see? So we got to decide this. And it's going to happen right away. Like next week, it'll happen next week. 
be a preview of coming. Next week we're going to talk about the wrath of God. Well, now there's a popular topic. I suggest you get here early. It's going to be packed out. You know, people are just, yes, someone's finally, you know, the wrath, you know, and we're going to talk about the wrath of God. And you're like, well, I don't know if I like that uh, wrath of God thing. I, I'm not sure if I really agree with a God that's angry. Um, you know, I like the God of love thing, but I'm not so sure. Oh, and then Paul's going to keep going. He's going to talk about the fallenness of the human race, how we are broken at the core. There's something deeply wrong, even evil about us. You're like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I think people are basically good if you dig deep. But if I think there's gold in them, their hills. Paul says, yeah, it's fool's gold. You're like, well, I'm not sure I like that. Oh, then he's going to get real specific. He'll start talking things about, like, relationships. Like, for example, he'll talk to us about sexual purity. Hey, sex is for marriage, not outside marriage. Don't sleep together. Don't live together. Homosexuality, nope. Not the way God designed it. It's not okay. Oh, and someone's going to go in like, oh, but you don't understand. It's the 21st century. He's like, you don't understand. You've never been in the first century. <laughs> you got nothing on us. Let me tell you some things. <laughs> We're like, oh, I don't know if I like that. I'm not sure if I agree with that. They start talking about our relationships. Hey, you need to love one. That means you've got to forgive. No exceptions. Well, I don't know if I buy that. I forgive most people, but you know my mother-in-law, what she did to me? I'm not forgiving her. I think God's with me on that one. <laughs> I think God loves my mother-in-law. And see, what we do is we go and we pick and choose. We pick and choose. Oh, I like this, Paul. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry about the sandal. Okay, I, like this. I like this. I like this, Paul. I don't like that, Paul. And we don't, we don't consciously do that. We don't go to our Bible study. Oh, I don't buy this thing. I'm not following that in my life. No, we just kind of subconsciously, oh, I'll get to that one later. Turn the page. Yeah, this is better. I like this right here. Very good. It's good. And you see what happens is we never grow up as followers of Jesus because we're picking and choosing the truth. And as we see next week in Romans chapter 1, man, Paul's going to lay out a powerful principle that when we reject the truth about God in an area of our life, there is a price we pay. And the price we pay is the lights go out and we become foolish in that area of our life. And the next step is it destroys our life. Spiritual truth is a powerful thing. You don't mess with it, you see. And so next week, it's going to be powerful as he unpacks this principle. And so here's what we have to do. We have to decide who is the Apostle Paul to us as a church. Are we an apostolic church or are we not? Let me just give you one example real quick, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul's writing to a bunch of new Christians. They live... Uh, in the city of Thessalonica. They've only been Christians months, uh, three months maybe. He was there for three weeks, planted a church, had to leave. There's a price on his head. He's writing back down three months later. They're, they're new at this. They come out of a pagan culture. Uh, part of their pagan culture was wild sexuality. It's uh, no big deal. It's a sleep around culture, much like our culture. And so, um, so he's writing to them, and, and he has several things he wants to address with them about about their following Jesus. Let's see what he says. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you when we were there 
how to live in order to please God. Now, that's important, right? We want to please God? Underline that. That's what the topic of this passage is, how to please God. As, in fact, you are living, doing a good job. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Keep growing in this. Now, verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you by the what? You see this? Let's read this together. By the authority of the Lord Jesus. Can we read that again? By the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, when I was there, remember what I taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. This is apostolic talk. You see? This is how an apostle talks. Remember what I taught you by the authority of Christ Jesus. He's setting them up now. This is not my rules. What I'm about to say to you, I didn't make this up. It's not coming from me. This is coming from the authority of Christ Jesus. So listen up. So what's he say? So it's God's will that you should be sanctified and uh, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, it's interesting to me how so many times in our life we pray that God would show us his will. We show my will about my job or should I marry this person? Or, and yet the first step to understanding his will is doing what the Bible says, this is my will. And if we don't follow, like get to first base, we can't go to second base. We've got to start there. And notice that the Apostle Paul says one of the, the, one of the, one of the most important spiritual decisions we ever make has to do with our sexuality because it's so tied into who we are. In fact, we'll see this next week in Romans 1. That's the moment we reject God's leadership in our life, one of the things that often follows right on his heels is our sexual morality, right? And we'll see this. There's a a link between our sexuality and our spirituality. And so he says, hey, if you're serious about pleasing God, doing God's will, you got to deal with this sexual morality thing. And he says, verse 4, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy, honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Uh, The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we've already warned you. So he says, hey, sexual purity is a big deal. Don't mess. If you do, God will spank you. Okay, we're ready to go on. Okay, now, verse 8. Now, here's here's the money verse. Ready? Money verse. Therefore... He who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. This is apostle talk. Apostle talk. Hey, just for a reminder, remember I told you the instructions I gave you? They're by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So if you reject this teaching, you're not rejecting man, me. You're not rejecting me, Paul. You're rejecting God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. You're rejecting the very basis of your relationship with God, your connection with him through his Holy Spirit. You see, you see what he's saying here? It, now, this is apostolic language. Now, here's what it means for us. Here's what it means. It means as a church, as followers of Jesus, we have to decide who is the apostle Paul to you. I will use the language many times in this series that he is our mentor. Yes, he is that. It's a great modern term. I love the term. But he's more than a mentor. He's more than a favorite pastor to you. He's more than a wise uncle. He's more than your favorite author. The Apostle Paul is an apostle. And when he speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes for us 13 letters, he's not giving us his opinion. He is speaking as a designated and commissioned 
authoritative representative of Jesus Christ himself. And if we reject his teaching, we are not rejecting him. We are rejecting God who sent him and picked him on the road. to. So we got to decide. Are we an apostolic church or not? This is a critical decision for our future as a church of Rocky Peak. Will we be under the authority of the apostolic writings of the New Testament as commissioned by Jesus? And can I tell you something? There is no more important decision you will ever make in your life than how you read these next few weeks. Because God is going to speak to us through the Apostle Paul, and we dare not pick and choose. Or as we'll see next week in Romans 1.18, we will go into the dark and we'll become fools and our lives will fall apart. Let's pray. God, we... Uh, we stand here before your word today, Lord, as your people, and we just want to be open and receptive. These are powerful things we're talking about. And God, we want to be an apostolic church. We want to be under the authority of the, the writings of this New Testament, these men you commissioned to explain to us what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be part of the movement. And God, would you give us courage Courage to embrace, courage that releases, remembering always what you taught us, that it's the truth that sets us free. So when we embrace the truth, even if it's a hard truth, that the end result is we always move to a living life at a whole new level. And we're excited about that, God, and we want to look forward to that. We pray you'd give us the courage and the humility to surrender to the teaching of your word given through your holy apostles. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today is